As I was closing up for the night, I thought about all the movies that had been discussed in the spoiler room. That was when the temperature in the room changed. I went to the thermostat and it said it was 52 degrees KB. Suddenly I found myself in a maze of movie posters. No matter what direction I went, each path led me back to one actor, Kevin Bacon. That was when it was clear what I had to do. When I snapped out of it, I added bacon to the menu. 2020 was going to be an interesting year in the spoiler room. And welcome, my friends, to venturing down the stairs to the spoiler room once again, where it's 52 degrees KB all year. And yes, today we are continuing our journey as we play a twisted variation of the classic game Six Degrees of Kevin Bacon. And I have a great gathering of crew members tonight to talk about something other than a crime drama. Can you believe it? We we are talking about something other than a crime drama. First up, we have here tonight with us once again, Mr. Ian Simmons. Hello, Ian. Are you happy it's not to do with anything in prison? <laughs> I honestly didn't know what to do with myself watching this movie because I was like, where's the, where are the tearful revelations? Um, where's all the social commentary? But uh, I made do. Where, where are the judges? Where, where's there's no judge? There's no lawyers. I, <laughs> I was kind of lost myself. And returning to the spoiler room again with us as always, it is uh, the multi-talented diva of the spoiler room herself. Uh, Dawn is with us tonight. Hello, Dawn. How are you? Just fantastic. Glad you could be with us today to talk about this interesting installment into the alien franchise uh one that yeah it's the fourth one it was the uh follow-up after alien <coughs> three and <laughs> it's alien cubed mark alien, it's alien cubed. alien cubed excuse me alien cubed with the uh, dog alien and I, I i won't go down that hole uh we won't talk about that <laughs> phil because i have feelings about it uh <laughs> we, we are talking alien resurrection it stars sigourney weaver and winona Ryder. and don would you like to give the synopsis of alien resurrection Alien Resurrection. So, 200 years after the events of <clears throat> Alien Cubed, um, we have a space pirates, uh, mercenaries, sure, sure, <laughs> uh, in a who who dock at a space and in, in a larger space vessel i guess of scientific research military scientific research because that's the theme um and it turns out that uh our favorite space heroine who died 200 years previously has been getting cloned by this space uh, military agency, not the Wayland uh, agency, their mm. Wayland company, yep. though, yeah. which is a nice difference. Um, and these mercenaries have brought in cryogenically frozen or preserved humans 
so that they can take the alien that had impregnated Ripley at, in Alien 3 and surgically remove it from her and then have those aliens impregnate these surgically or cryogenically frozen humans and then of course bad things happen and Ripley does what Ripley does and kills them all <laughs> that works I like that that was a good episode you guys that was <laughs> <laughs> thank you good night <laughs> we're, we're good okay that's the film <laughs> I, I mean bells and whistles aside I mean whenever Ripley gets around the aliens there's only one thing that happens even if she is um, half alien as it turns out yeah, I thought it's interesting. Uh, it's an interesting concept uh, that they did with this. Uh, I remember when I first heard about it, because this was in 97 when it came out. Um, and I remember for I'm like, oh, no, but because Alien Cubed just did not sit well with me. Now, I know there's some people out there that just love Alien Cubed and mad props for you for enjoying that film. I just... I paid money for that film, and I felt like I got ripped off <laughs> severely. <laughs> uh, you know, so that was like five years prior to Alien Resurrection. So they waited a little while before they came out with this. And with good reason, because um, Sigourney Weaver was not going to do another episode or another installment of the franchise. Mm -hmm. um, she felt that Ripley's story was done. And then, lo and behold... Uh, the word master Joss Whedon came along and his script changed her mind. And you could see why, I think, as you watch this film and as we'll be discussing tonight uh, of how her looking at this uh, brought her back and how looking at this goes, you know, I almost really, really like this movie. I almost really, really like this movie. Um, <laughs> there, there's just yeah, we'll, we'll get into it. But Ian, uh, do you remember when you first saw Alien Resurrection? Yeah, um, I think it was, uh, was it November of 97, I think, um, it came out. Uh, I just remember it being cold, and uh, <laughs> I, I had a really horrible breakup a couple months earlier. So I was in just the uh, the right frame of mind to see this movie uh, by myself uh, in a theater full of like other like random nerds. Um, and walking out in the lobby after it was over, just being like, what the hell did we just watch? Um, <laughs> now, it's interesting because I've seen this movie a, a few times over the years. <clears throat> and watching it again today is the first time I think I really appreciated what the film is. Mm -hmm. And a lot, it's probably not fair because, you know, I. 1997, Joss Whedon had just started the Buffy the Vampire Slayer TV show. Uh, now in the intervening years, Buffy became a thing and then he gave us Firefly and then the Avengers, of course, and all that. Um, and, uh, was it justice league? Um, I think having the appreciation for knowing who and what Joss Whedon would become capable of, uh, helps the enjoyment, or at least for me of the movie now, because I can see the seeds of Firefly in it. I can see those kind of Whedonisms, the, the character quirks that make this different than the other alien movies. And I know Sigourney Weaver has said in the past that 
one of the things she liked about the series was that each entry was different from the previous one. And that largely came down to the director and the kind of visual sensibilities and the storytelling to, you know, various results. Um, but yeah, I kind of dug this, this movie and I realized today that my biggest issue with it was the last 15 minutes Yes. where we get the birth of the human-alien hybrid, that left such a stain on my memory and even my lack of appreciation of it in the intervening decades that I'm like, wow, that's so powerful. Because the movie's an hour and 48 minutes long, and we're only talking about something that's a fraction of that, just like ruining the whole thing, because that human-alien hybrid is so stupid. <laughs> um, I, But I, I, I really liked pretty much everything else about the film. Um even something I picked up on today was the idea that there are these space pirates and this kind of lovable band of miscreants, right? Winona Ryder, the great Michael Wincott, the always awesome Ron Perlman. But I was thinking about how morally compromised they are as space pirates. They really are villains because they thought nothing of uh, knocking off this, I think it was a mining vessel that was on their way yeah. to a planet. They commandeered uh -huh. it and stole the bodies. It's not like the military had said, hey, go take over this ship, bring the cargo, don't ask questions. These were very clearly cryotubes. You could see the people inside. And when we when we first realized that, like Winona Ryder and whoever, they're just like kind of pushing them along like, eh, this is boring. I'm just looking at my little scanner thing. These are people. They're dealing in people. It was harder for me to get over that this time because I'm like, oh, these guys are scumbags. But yeah, they're endearing and they're cracking one-liners and whatever and half of them get eaten. That, that's always good when half of them get eaten, but yeah, yeah, it's it's that Joss Whedon formula. You mentioned it, Firefly. I've seen many people talk about how you see the seeds of Firefly, and you do have that. The crew of the Betty in this are our templates are him testing out a formula of Firefly characters, which you can kind of see. They're not quite there, but you could you could definitely see the seeds of the idea there of people who. Uh, aim to do bad things you know but they're, they're actually not bad people that's just their job <laughs> you know it's well but that's the thing and i think that's the evolution of firefly from alien resurrection if we can draw that line is that the people in firefly are inherently good people they are right. rebels from the losing side of the war but they're not criminals in the sense that like Malcolm Reynolds mm -hmm. and Wash are never going to conspire to be like okay we're going to take these million dollar credits so we can steal a bunch of bodies <laughs> <That's> <laughs> true. people on the true. way to work you know yeah that's true <laughs> very true uh, Todd what about you and, and uh, you, when you first watch Resurrection versus now uh... um, well I liked it then mm -hmm. I, I enjoyed it I didn't um when it first came out, I was in the middle of buying a house, so I didn't see a whole lot of movies while it was in the theater. Um, so I waited till it came on on video. Um, also, I, like you, I was a bit jaded from Alien Three. Mm -hmm. um, so I, I there was many reasons to wait to see it. Um, I did enjoy it because. Largely because of, of, I enjoyed the writing and I really enjoyed the cast. Um, I liked, I noticed this time more than I noticed before. Mm 
the I've I've heard a lot of criticism over the years about Winona Ryder's character in this call. Um and I realized in this last viewing uh the fact that um because i had read about it the original script was supposed to be a um not have ripley as the main character but it was supposed to be the child newt being cloned right Mm. and it it kind of made me look at this uh the film different this time and see the uh writer's character call and Ripley's relationship being very similar to that Ripley Newt relationship mm-hmm. from Aliens. It is, yeah, you're right, and I I think for me when I first watched it too, uh, I'm I was kind of like Ian in that I remember the infant and, and the infant alien, and I remembered it so much about this film that it, it kind of turned me off to watching it again. Now watching it again, uh, I have a larger appreciation for it. One, because we're all more familiar with Joss Whedon's approach. And if you look at it, not as kind of the serious alien film, but as a Joss Whedon monster film, uh, the the infant alien is a little bit more acceptable, though still kind of mm-hmm. ridiculous out of the whole thing. But the rest of the film is solid and yeah i love the relationship between call and ripley and it's fitting and being older and i guess not wiser but just having watched many more movies <laughs> um don would you say that while you kind of had it running through the other alien film the other two aliens and it was kind of carried over in alien 3 but it's definitely prevalent here playing off the whole maternal theme with this film, uh, kind of almost making it its own trilogy, Aliens, Alien, Cubed, and this, as far as Ripley and and the motherly angle, because you have in this uh, Ripley and Call kind of a mom-daughter relationship there. Of course, you've got the queen and her baby, and then how they all kind of intermingle uh, is there a, a strong maternal theme here, and do you think that's a carryover from the previous films? Yes, um, yes. I don't know if the maternal aspect is incidental and it's supposed to be more familial, mm-hmm. because in the first two, there's the strong feeling of family in a different way. Right. Um, but yes, definitely there's a whole, especially, especially starting in the second one with the Mm -hmm. queen, the, the, that maternal instinct Mm -hmm. is, is a very strong theme. Um, and the, the baby going back to the baby alien, um, I'm not sure sure if it's what was off-putting to me about that was the <laughs> the costume or alien design the creature design because the concept itself didn't put me off at all i mean after 
you can talking about the seeds in this one for Firefly, you can see the things he explored and used as a testing ground for his for Buffy the Vampire Slayer and Angel as well. Mm-hmm. Um and playing with maternal themes, um, like for two full seasons for God's sakes, vampires <laughs> having a baby and then a, a vampire and a demon having a baby and right. like it's a huge theme with him that he explored for quite a while. Yeah, it it is a theme that's prevalent in here. And Ian, do you think that's a carryover as well in this from like Aliens, which was kind of sparked? I think more so in Aliens, the maternal part than in Alien, but Alien, you had the family as the crew. And then you have, you know, Aliens, of course, with Newt and the Queen. And do you think that's kind of carried through now and, and Joss expounding on, exp, you know, building off of that? Sort of. I mean, it's something I didn't really think about until listening to the two of you talk about uh, this theme. I think I I can kind of see the whole Ripley and Call thing, although Ripley is such she's so animalistic in this movie. You can really see that it appears that she does have like half of aside from the physicality of like being able to jump around and catch basketballs like the alien or would, I guess (laughs) if it caught basketballs, Um, you know, she is this kind of otherworldly aloof kind of presence. She doesn't have the emotion really of the Ellen Ripley we know. So really she does come across as a clone Mm -hmm. and call is the younger kind of person. They end up teaming up. So I can kind of see the dynamic there, not necessarily maternal, mm-hmm. but I think where the the bit of disconnect there is that uh, in the, uh, the aliens, we see that the queen has a psychic connection to the eggs, to the drones. Right. When Ripley burns the nest towards the end, the queen freaks the hell out. Mm-hmm. Like she's like, "Those are my children." Mm-hmm. If this version of Ripley that we see is a clone. And the queen is also a clone that was brought out of her. So she's part alien and she gave birth to this queen who is now giving birth to these other things. I feel like in that moment where the mutant hybrid rips the queen's face off, Mm. Ripley should have had more of a visceral reaction than just like, oh shit, I got to get out of here because this thing's going (laughs) to come after me. I feel like she should have been more upset about it and maybe even had, because it, that familial thing, I think it could have been there. They mm. just didn't, they, they dropped it in sort of, but they didn't do anything with it. Not that I wanted to draw out the hybrid stuff because I think that's the <laughs> weakest part of the movie, but I just feel like there there should have been more of a connection if, if we've established that the aliens sort of have almost a psychic pull to their own kind. What does that do when you introduce the human element to it? I'm thinking about that because I'm wondering the... Yeah, she does describe herself as the aliens as the monster's mother. So she would see the alien, the queen that was removed as her child, but she really doesn't. Right. But she does see that the the hybrid alien that was uh, given birth <laughs> that was that was born instead of hatched. Mm-hmm. She does see that as her child, which you're right, it is weird. Uh, the only thing that I could think of that uh, you mentioned that is if we pay attention, it's it's not done very 
evidently, but you can see Inklings. They play at this to where at the beginning, Ripley is definitely more of an animal, especially when she meets the crew of the Betty. I mean, I love that scene with her and Ron Perlman. Oh, <laughs> That is just an awesome scene where she is basically, you know, she's embraced her alien, her her beast side of herself. And, uh, yeah, when these guys show up, of course, it's a battle of the alphas. And she definitely is is the winner of that battle uh, when she fights the crew of the Betty. But she's more animalistic and more cold. But I think what they were trying to play at with this is over the course of the film, she she slowly gains bits of her humanity to where she's not so much just the beast uh i know it sounds weird but uh i think by the end where the alien queen gets her face knocked off i think they kind of were trying to go for that ellen at this point in the film has pretty much gained herself back to the ripley we know as far as how she feels towards aliens um, <laughs> and, and in seeing that, I think she didn't have that feeling because, you know, she sees the queen as, as an alien queen now, not necessarily her child. Um, you know, just like, uh, when the infant comes over to her, she gets scared and, and she doesn't exactly embrace the child mm. <laughs> and it, it, it licks her, um, and when it goes for Brad Dourif, who is our connection, by the way, folks, uh, the 52 Degrees connection with our <laughs> film last week, Murder in the First, uh, Brad Dourif was playing uh, the Kevin, the brother to Kevin Bacon's character. And so he's in here in this weird sexual type of doctor who really, really <laughs> likes aliens. Um, <laughs> you know, the infant goes to chew on his brain and she bolts. You know, and so I think they were trying to go for that. She's, she was her the humanity side of her was starting to win at that point. But maybe I'm I again puddle uh, a lake out of a puddle. No, I I don't I don't know that that was the I don't think we ever see Ellen Ripley in this movie. She's always just number eight mm-hmm. or Ripley um, because she is operating on instinct from the beginning, pretty much towards the end. I think what you're picking up on there is the idea of when she was showing emotion, even though it's fear towards this alien human hybrid, it's because she's never seen, you know, even the the old Ripley, assuming she has retained some memories of having fought these things, because she mentions before there's that line where Ron Perlman is like, you know, so you fought these things before, huh? What did you, what did you do? And she said, I, I died. Yeah. Whether or not that's information that she remembers or just stuff that the scientists told her, she does retain something of an encounter. She's never seen anything bigger and badder than an alien queen before. Right. So the idea that this is sort of the alpha of the universe as far as she's concerned, and then there's this thing that comes along and rips its face off, and now it's coming after her, she's going to be kind of petrified. Like They could have very well taken her out. We don't have any indication that even with her human-alien hybrid strength and speed that she would have stood a chance against this thing, really. So I, I don't know. I Even in the end, the final scene where they're hovering above Earth and she's like, you know, I feel like I'm I'm home, but I'm a stranger or something like that. I, uh, she still feels very much like there's no sense that Ripley finally made it home. It's this kind of weird robot 
<laughs> version of her, which is maybe explains why she has that connection to call because they're kind of both dead inside. <laughs> they're kind of like both synthetic life forms at that point. Um, it's kind of a bittersweet, strange ending, um, which I know we were talking about the theatrical cut, but the director's cut ends with them. We yeah. actually get to see what they see, which is the burned out remains of Paris, which I think is a much, it's a darker ending, but I think it's much more fitting to Perlman's line earlier in the movie where he's like, Earth, <laughs> what a shithole. Because <laughs> at the end of the theatrical version, there, it's like, oh, it's nice. It's still the blue planet and everything kind of looks nice. And we don't see any land or sky or atmosphere. It's still very much surface or uh, like mm-hmm. above orbit level. But you don't get the feeling that anything bad happened there. It's kind of a kind of a disconnect as well. There is a little bit more of a disconnect, though. I will have to correct you, Ian. I, I hope you don't mind. Mm. Uh, matter no, of respect, no, please. But the Blu-ray, which I have, the Blu-ray set, which is fucking gorgeous. Uh, yeah. Pardon my French. The Blu-ray set. Jean-Pierre uh, Jeunet stated at the beginning of the 2003 special edition that that it wasn't the director's cut. The director's cut you saw was in 1997. So he, it was the special edition version. That's why they did. Just, all right. <laughs> I, I, I'm sorry. No, I, I couldn't resist. I just, it was the first time I've ever watched a special edition where you have the director going, this is not the director's cut. He's like, huh, 1997, that is the director's cut that you saw in the theaters. <laughs> So did he did he explain what the hell the special edition was for? Because I don't think they put that out theatrically, right? They just made that for home video. Like, I, who thought we I, need to change this? It, it was. I think those were original concepts and storyboards, as he put it in the intro. He said you could see what they were trying to go for, but the theatrical he considers the director's cut. Um, and I have to agree that the stuff that was in there in the special edition version really don't add too much except for the mother part. Uh, Don, have you seen the 2003 special edition version? It's with the badly CGI opening. Um, I have not. Okay. Hmm. Uh, well, if you don't mind me, I know it's a spoiler room. You don't mind me spoiling a few of the bits from the special edition. Uh, uh, I, I've I've already seen the movie. The special <laughs> fat, the special editions aren't going to bother me. Okay, I ju- I just want to double check because I'll, I'll just stop <laughs> talking about it. But um, in the special edition version, there's two things that are, and we all watch film. Films a visual media. It's amazing what one scene or one couple scenes can totally change character tone your your impression of a character. Uh, a couple things that I noted in my notes, because I was a trooper and last night after I watched the theatrical version, I immediately watched the special edition version. Wow. I, that's like, like that's like three and a half hours of aliens or yes, something. I yeah, I, I, I watched I watched them back to back almost four hours. Anyway, um, uh, one of them is there was a line about Walmart in there, which was hilarious about a Waylon Yu. <laughs> got bought out by Walmart, um, <laughs> which I thought was hilarious. I'm like, wow, even in, in 97, go Joss. Uh, but but um, one of the things that they added in here was kind of more of a relationship between Greece and, and Call. Uh, there's a few scenes in there where they kind of are build a little bit of a friendship 
and they play a little bit more that Grease might have a bit of a thing for her. Um, which, I mean, it's evident later on, too. But the other thing is, we mentioned Newt. There's a scene in here in the beginning where they're testing Ripley as she's grown to adult and see if she can identify common things, her clone self. And they do a thing with gloves and fruit. And in the original th- uh, version, they cut after that with a very hilarious Dan Hayda <laughs> doing some cross-eyed thing that I... I don't know if he was supposed to play it up or what as comical, but he was just hilarious in this. Um, But in the special edition, there's an extra scene where they show a picture of a young girl and Ripley has an emotional reaction to it. Mm. Like she was seeing Newt. They don't say Newt's name. The picture looks similar to Newt. But they have her actually have this kind of emotional reaction, like she gets very sad about it. Um, I wonder if it's a picture of her actual daughter. It could be a picture of her mm. actual daughter because that was a cut section from the original theatrical Aliens, was we find out Ripley had a daughter. Um, yep. Which, again, was that maternal Which, again, thing. Sorry. Yeah. And see, I wonder... Um, if as they're training her and as they're testing her, they're only rewarding the behaviors that are similar to the aliens because that's all they're interested in. They're interested in her health and what she remembers, but they don't want Ellen Ripley back at all. Like that's their worst nightmare. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean the, um, the general. So yeah, the general I'm, said I'm that. I'm just yeah. wondering if if the reason that they that she hasn't had human emotions or human response, and I mean, in addition to being half alien at this point, um, half genetically alien at this point, and the reason she connects to call and starts having more emotional response in addition to the very good arguments that uh, Ian made about um, fear response and knowing that she's the mother of the monster Mm -hmm. and then having that monster have his face ripped off and experiencing fear but she's got to be experiencing a whole bunch of complex emotions because here, these military assholes have only ever been rewarding the alien-type behavior. Now we've got this whole other group of people who are asking her for help, and that's what she's genetically predisposed to do. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. I, well, I was I was going to say, the one of the, the things I was wondering about, uh, because they decide to keep Ripley alive, just, I guess, to, to watch her, I want to ask you about this. When we find that secret lab that has the other seven failed clones, we'll call them, one of them that she sees at the very end, number seven, is still alive, and she you know, puts her down with a flamethrower. Do you know if the other ones were, because they were in those kind of backed attacks, do you think they were alive or were they just being preserved? That's an excellent question. Um <laughs> It's entirely possible that they were all, mm, they couldn't have all been alive. No. They, they couldn't have all been alive. They, um, 
the implication was that during the surgery when they were taking the during the opening scenes when they were taking the alien out of her chest the implication was that uh the surgery was typically not survived mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. well i'm just wondering if like depending i don't know how uh long it took for these creatures to manifest to grow to you know full size and whatever because there are different sizes and different you know manifestations of the alien within this body so i wonder if you'd have one that would take like 28 days to grow to like full adult ripley height and shape versus one that took like three days to grow into that giant hulking thing with all the hair you know they're just kind of they're messing around in the genetic soup I was reminded of that scene in Aliens in the lab at uh, Hadley's Hope where they had that big jump scare. They walk into the room with all the face huggers that were suspended in those very similar looking tubes and they look like they're all dead. But then one, you know, slams its face against the glass and surprises the soldier. That's just why I was wondering if you thought that there was any life in those in those tubes or it was all dead. Because the other thing is Ripley does destroy that entire lab. So I wonder <laughs> if she was picking up on like. Yeah, this one number seven is still alive, but maybe these other ones <clears throat> are suffering too. Or if she just wanted to destroy the thing because it's a monument to, you know, the, the the evil that had been perpetrated by this military. It was a nice callback to that deleted scene from Alien, which in 1997, when Joss Whedon wrote this, I don't know if we had actually known about that hive scene that was cut from Alien. You know, though, I'm talking about where she discovers right. uh, Dallas, because mm-hmm. um, this seems a direct reference to that scene. But I don't know if the wider public had seen that footage yet. I don't remember if '97 if they had done the director's cut by then. Um, I mean, DVD was coming out and all of that, so I don't remember if they did that. Uh, I did know at one point TV or cable was showing a special cut of the film, I think, for an anniversary. So it may have hmm. by then, but I'm not sure. I know which scene you're talking about. Uh, but I think she was destroying it, though, because of the monument. Because uh, I posted that I was watching this film, and our good uh, friend and, and uh, crew member, uh, Cole mentioned about how there is it, it's slimy and it's more sexual and, and grimy and this film definitely is that uh, and Brad Dourif character is right in the center of the the weird fascination he he is truly fascinated and I think part of the reason Ripley is kept alive is because of his you get the impression because of his personal taste and that's that room was his he he mm. seemed like these were all trophies and the living ripley who survives the surgery who they s- successfully for the first time it seems like separated a queen from ripley a ripley clone and she's in perfect health he was just so fascinated by her uh you know and so proud of his creation that she was the ultimate trophy in many ways you know because you get that scene in the uh, where they're eating dinner or whatnot, and and they're talking, and she's just like, uh, it was a queen, and he's like so fascinated that she's got this telepathic connection, and she's just like, she'll breed, you'll die, uh, and <laughs> but but that doesn't scare him, you know, and then we find out later on too when he's looking at uh, the children of the queen uh, who have spawned from these colonists or, or these miners. 
he literally tries to kiss one. Yeah. <laughs> well, no, that's you bring up something that's really interesting. I didn't pick up on this until now because the other scientists, uh, I think there was the assumption that they were just going, now that they'd taken the queen out, that they were going to kill number eight because it sounds like that's what they thought was happening with the with the failed versions you know every time they had this surgery so maybe number 7 was the secret being kept in the lab the is it possible that Brad Dourif's character was keeping her and all these other little trophies as as Mark put it in there maybe a lot of them were dead but maybe he's secretly trying to keep at least one of them alive because we know that number eight is not special at this point because they still have number seven who's still living and breathing and on life support. It's really creepy. <laughs> I actually wonder more um, because I viewed his treatment of the aliens as more possessive. Mm-hmm. Not Trophies, yes, but even more than that, these are my possessions. Mm-hmm. These, these, these creatures are mine. They mm-hmm. are a hundred percent mine. I created them. Um, I, I have trained them. It being a very disciplinarian person, and more of the mindset of, well, if you don't obey me, I'll just freeze you with this liquid nitrogen here, whatever the heck it was, and. Mm-hmm. I've got the genetic data to make more. Right. So I'm wondering if he kept those, uh, the, the previous one through seven um, Ripley clones, just as more genetic material to continue to reclone. Oh. Mm. Yeah. That's, that's great. <laughs> I like that reason behind it. Yeah. <laughs> that, that, yeah. I could see that. Um, um I don't know if either of you had read the uh, the comic books uh, that Dark Horse put out in the uh, early '90s, late '80s, early '90s. But um, the kind of the training the aliens plot was uh, came from I think the second miniseries where Earth had been, uh, or maybe it was a third one. Earth had been completely overrun with aliens because the, mm-hmm. they, they got back to Earth and, and the military screwed it up. So there was this rogue general guy who had decided that he was going to get a queen, hatch a bunch of drones, and then train those drones to go back to Earth to wipe out the aliens who had overrun the Earth. <laughs> oh, yeah. No, I remember that. Yeah, they were going to train the drones, and actually at one point you do get alien-on-alien action. Uh, because Well, for, ver- for I think that was one of the later right. series yeah. where they had the factions, because when he goes back to the planet, he was so sure that he had trained them, but they immediately turn on him and, <laughs> and bust his head open. <laughs> that was the one thing I really did like in Alien Resurrection, uh, outside of the fact that they are, are quite slimier aliens than uh, we've seen in the past. Uh, they brought they, they kept that intelligence to them. I mean, because yeah. you get that wonderful scene. I, I just love that scene, and, and I know I'm, I'm a probably twisted individual. You get that scene where... Uh, pro- okay, I heard that, Don. <laughs> I heard that. Uh, Gediman, that's his name, uh, Brad Dourif's character. Anyway, he's disciplining the aliens. They He went to try to kiss it through the glass, and it, it, it shot the mouth at him. And you're right, he did the cold spray... 
and then it was going to attack him again, and he put his hand over the button, and, and they were like, oh, it's like, and they're fast learners. So they brought the intelligence of the aliens back, but you get that scene where there's three of them in the room, and it's actually directed really well, and two of them look at each other, then they look at the third one, and the third one's like, no, guys, no, don't. I mean, it's all through <laughs> alien screams, but you can totally hear it in your head going, what are you guys doing? No, no, and they totally just disembowel their their buddy in the cage so that his blood would eat through the floor and they could mm-hmm. escape and i loved that bit because uh then you get the bit where right after that a soldier goes in there and then you find out one of the aliens was above the button and used the button to freeze the guy i mean <laughs> i i like the fact that we had they they kept the intelligence of the aliens because that's what I always loved about these creatures is that, I mean, some people think of them as just mindless type of drones, which there are a few of those, but they are more than just killing machines. These are thinking creatures, and and you really get that really comes through here. I thought they conveyed that very well in this film. Uh, what do you think, Ian? Do you think they, that they got that idea across, that aliens were smart still? <laughs> Yeah, and that's pretty much the only thing I liked about the aliens in this movie. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Because I I don't know if it was Ebert or somebody mentioned this uh, in the review of Alien Resurrection, which was not as nearly as kind as we're being to it. Um, But they essentially took the beauty of Giger's designs from the first one and the second one, not so much the third one, although I know he was involved, but you really get a sense of these are fascinating creatures to look at and to study and, and be fearful of. In this iteration of it, it's almost like they ran out of money for the effects or something because they're all shot in darkness. They're all just covered in – they look like they're covered in tar. You know, <laughs> There's no sense of shape or form to them aside from the iconic – mouth and even that when the teeth open they look almost like just like these cartoon like sharp triangle fan fangs that were drawn in mm-hmm. uh, over the lips uh, it's not until they get to that underwater scene where you really get a sense of their shape and and their movement and it's just strange because like oh i guess they jumped in the water and all that goo just like <laughs> dripped off of them is hovering over at the surface somewhere um yeah it, the, the look of the aliens has bothered me from this particular film since you know 1997 but i do agree that their behavior uh, is is on point i i do like the uh i like that level of intelligence which if we've learned anything from ridley scott's prequel movies they did a couple of years ago it may be because they <laughs> were genetically crossbred from you know mm-hmm. that black goo that made them from intelligent creatures so that's that re- is retained throughout their you know <laughs> spanning the universe yeah, uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm not sure how I feel about those. Don, what about you and the aliens? They were, I, I agree, they weren't as as elegant as the original Geiger designs, um, but they also couldn't be. Mm-hmm. The creatures had to evolve because they were they were essentially extinct until they were cloned back into life Mm -hmm. so the creatures had to be different they had to be more they had to be wrong Mm -hmm. in order to make the story work yeah i can i can see that and 
Yeah, that's a leap that I can make in my head to be like, yeah, well, these aren't the original aliens from LV-426. But I think there's a way visually to make them look wrong without looking cheap. I mean, the scenes where they've got like those long floppy fingers. I'm like, (laughs) no, this is what is this? (laughs) No, I I, I understand where you're coming from, though. Yeah, it's what that was. <laughs> yeah, there, there are yeah. there are some that, that was laziness on the on the creature designers. Yeah, there there was some laziness in their design. Uh, you could see what they're going for. I will say, I did like the makeup on Sigourney Weaver though, because uh, and the fact that I guess it helps that she was very tall versus Winona Ryder. Uh, you get that great scene when Winona meets her right in the beginning, and and she kind of stands up a bit and she puts her hands around Winona's head and it looks very alien like and I, I loved that scene. I don't know why and I don't know why they just couldn't use like those hands for the the alien <laughs> creatures instead of what you like you said, the floppiness. Interesting, I was looking up trivia, the queen that's in this, they wanted to use the original mold, but that was destroyed beyond repair. But then they came across an alien fan who had the original Queen costume that they Whoa. bought, the, the the model. And so that the, the, the Queen model that is dressed up a bit in this film is the actual Queen model that was used in Aliens. Jeez. Well, that's neat. So I thought that was interesting. I'm like, okay, that's pretty cool. <laughs> it's the original crowdsourcing. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It, it it is the original crowdsourcing. Uh but yeah, the the aliens but you know, I think part of the reason they didn't maybe put so much effort in them is one is budget. I mean, uh Ripley, I think, I mean, Sigourney Weaver alone got paid 11 million, which was like the budget of the entire first movie. Uh, <laughs> uh <laughs> Not adjusted, of course, for inflation, uh, for all you you number crunchers out there. But uh, <laughs> the the aliens aren't so much the 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 focus like the other films as it is Ripley, and and her dealing with the fact that she's got Ripley memories and she hated aliens so much, and now she is an alien. Now, granted, we all have established and mentioned that it's not really a- Ripley, and and yeah, that's true. But at the same time. That's the idea they're going for, is the inner conflict that she is now what she hates, uh, but she's using it to her advantage. Um, and I always thought that was, you know, just an interesting concept, but that's really more of the focus. So I think the aliens in this, up until the very end where we get the infant, are more of just the the threat, but they aren't the main focus. So that could be, too, why they didn't necessarily put as much detail into them as you did in the first two films. One, Alien, because that's the title character, and Aliens, because it's James Cameron. So, (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, you've made a very compelling argument there. So, you know, I I just put it out as a reason. I I wasn't involved in filming, so I couldn't tell you, but I'm just wondering if maybe that was part of it, is because they're just kind of the catalyst of things, and... Uh, you know, it's really about the humans uh, chasing and Ripley and uh, uh, Winona Ryder's character, Call, going 
with their instinct, either they've been programmed or just the, their natural way of protecting the vile people who traded in humans, <laughs> and they're still protecting them from aliens. <laughs> you know, so uh, maybe that's it. I, I'm not sure. But, um, Don, what did you think of the crew of the Betty? And, and did you have a favorite character? <laughs> I mean, it, that you can have you, for a group you know, of, of individuals, <laughs> you know. I, I thought that the um, for disposable characters, I thought that the, the Betty gave us some pretty fun um, characters. Mm-hmm. I mean, a pretty fun crew to work with. Um, I, I liked that they fleshed Vrees out quite a bit. Mm-hmm. But, you know, Ron Perlman. <laughs> I, mm-hmm. Ron Perlman is Ron Perlman. And regardless of what he thought of working on this film, the final project, or the final product, um, and I, I did watch the, the feature out with the interviews, and I've never seen Ron Perlman be so deadpan ever. As he was in that interview saying what a good movie it was. <laughs> um, so regardless of what his actual feelings are about about the film, you can tell he still had fun making it mm-hmm. and, and working with those people. And I'm sorry, it just his especially when you draw the 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 comparison between the crew of the Betty and um, the crew of the Serenity um, that just makes me like that character uh, John or even more John <laughs> or Jane Jane yeah 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 it, it definitely you could see the seeds of, of Jane in <laughs> in Ron Perlman's John or uh, gee they both spell with J go figure uh, uh. <laughs> What about you, Ian? Did you have a, 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 a? I know they're I know they're vile people. You mentioned they're vile <laughs> people, but let's let's face it. It's the Joss Whedon formula of even you know he can write he can write characters. Let's face it. He's definitely one of those guys who who can write very interesting, fun characters. Which character did you like out of the Betty? Um, I would have to go with uh, with Michael Wincott's uh, Captain. Oh yeah. Um, even though he doesn't <laughs> doesn't last very long, I just love that scene where he's sitting down with uh, with Dan Hedaya right when they first oh, yeah. get in there, and they're kind of like talking to each other about what what the business transaction they're doing really means, and there's all this secrecy and stuff. It's just a fun little scene, and it just got me wondering what their relationship was like, and mm-hmm. what does Michael Wincott? How did he assemble this crew? What is the greater like galactic politics that that led to this? You know, with the fall of Wayland Yutani to to the to the Walmart Corporation, you know, just all this stuff. It it just I I you know Ron Perlman is great, and you know there's a lot of other colorful characters um, on that ship, but they're all just kind of like action movie characters mm-hmm. where I felt like there was something really going on with Michael Wincott. And I was still today, it, even in 1997 and this afternoon, I was totally bummed out 
when his character, you know, bought it. I'm like, oh no, he's he's a he's a really good actor, and <laughs> I, uh, I want to I would like to have seen how resourceful he could be, uh, you know, when the shit hits the fan and mm-hmm. and get more of a, a relationship between him and Ripley because they both seemed like people who there is something caring deep down inside of them, but they're also kind of like no nonsense, you know, survival instincts because they kind of have to be in both of their lines of work, so to speak. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The, the Elgin character was definitely interesting though. I did like, I like Christy quite a bit. His second in command who, who takes over uh, played mm-hmm. by Gary uh, Durden. I, I did enjoy him. Uh, quite a bit too i actually wanted to see i i did i wanted to see more of the crew of the betty because it was a fascinating group of characters you know vreese i thought was cool um actually when you look at christy uh gary durden's character makes you wonder exactly why he was with the rest of the group (laughs) in all honesty well Um, and there's something there is something uh to that because a couple of characters on a couple of occasions say, hey, where's Vries? And they're like, you know, screw him. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> or yeah. or we're leaving him behind. Like, the, there's no loyalty there. No. Really. <laughs> no. Yeah. Most, uh-huh. Well, because he's, he's, as Jonner put it so eloquently, the cripple. Um, <laughs> <clears throat> yeah. <laughs> right, but you get, you, you wonder, like, mm-hmm. are they that cutthroat with everybody on the crew are they only in it because they're strength in numbers and they can you know have these big scores and make out financially uh or is is there anybody that they would die for in that crew it's it's kind of inconsistent because on that uh, the latter scene mm-hmm. uh towards the end as they're crawling out of that that water tank uh Johnner flips himself backwards to shoot the alien to save christy and Brees. um uh, I, I cutthroat mercenary is not going to do that right. um, for someone they don't even really consider a friend, especially because he'd already said, Vreese, we're going to leave you behind. <laughs> um, now, here's here's something I got to ask you, because I wrote this down in my notes as a question. Why does Christie sacrifice himself? Ooh, good question. Because he'd been, he'd been sprayed in the eye by the alien. That much is true. But after Jonner blows the thing's head off, it's still hanging onto his foot, but it's also clearly dead. And it's not clear that the acid had done so much damage to him as like melted half of his body off. He's, he could be like, you know, Hicks in the previous movie, just, you know, bandage that <laughs> shit up and go on about your life. <laughs> I didn't understand why he threw himself into the water like that. Yeah, I'm not sure, Don. <laughs> uh, that's that's definitely not clear and definitely a consistency issue or a, a continuity issue. Um, clearly, he wasn't thinking hmm. um, at all. Or maybe he believed he was dying. Maybe he just wanted to die and not deal with the pain. I don't know. I was expecting him to, like, kick it off. Now, he was kind of he was kind of laying almost comatose for a while. Uh there so it was hard to say whether or not the acid had eaten through into his head or something or Mm. uh you know he was going to die he figured it was inevitable uh yeah it was weird that scene threw me off too because otherwise it's a it even with the bad cgi it was a a very uh (laughs) it's a very tense scene it's a very fun scene um there's a lot of stuff going on you know uh call gets shot uh, by the 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 sadistic scientist, 
Um, you know, there's a lot of things going on. That great shot of Ron Perlman hanging upside down and shooting the alien. Um, you know, for a minute there, I thought maybe his character accidentally shot Christy. Um, mm. You know, the way Christy was hanging there. But but yeah. then but then he isn't. Christy Christy is up. It's just that uh, Reese is, is slipping. And then yeah, you're right. He sacrifices himself. It it's not. I, I'm wondering if there was a, a something cut out of there or was intended that he was more hurt than was uh, portrayed on camera. You know, on yeah. scene. I I'm wondering if he was hurt a lot more. You know, maybe they cut or ran out of budget for more of a sizzling skin scene as the acid's eating through his face. Mm. Um, I don't know what you're going to say, Don. Oh, I was just thinking uh, as you were saying that this movie is significantly more gory mm-hmm. than its predecessors. So, and maybe that is a thing. Maybe they didn't have the budget to make that particular scene more yeah yeah <laughs> <laughs> Although we and, do get... and, and i love the gore scenes oh the the scene of how the general buys it general perez dan <laughs> dan hayda sells the hell out of pulling his own brain out of his skull I oh mean, yeah I... <laughs> and i i the 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 moment leading up to that i thought was it's cool but it's also kind of sad but it's a gesture of love to his fellow soldiers when they're all going in the escape pods the marines pile in and then the alien just like sneaks in there at the last second and just starts murdering everybody (laughs) he rolls the grenade down the shaft right into the thing just as it goes off that's incredible Mm -hmm. and then that punctuation where yeah it punctures the back of his head and he gets the those great dan hedaya googly eyes (laughs) (laughs) Those and those and those. I just wish he'd been like shirtless during that scene, so we could have a revisit of those Wookie shoulders that we saw a few scenes earlier when he gets out of bed. Jeez! Oh no, kidding! Wow! <laughs> that was in special effects, folks. That was all natural. <laughs> oh man, he he and Robin Williams could have done a remake of Twins. Um, <laughs> wow! My God. Well, yeah, because he's he's doing the 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 salute, and it's it's Dan Hayda, and he's playing up himself as this general Perez character is kind of comical. And, and that was one of the characters where, again, much older Mark looking at this has more appreciation for this film because realizing Joss Whedon's style, the mixture of the gore, the dark and the over the top humor, especially with the general Perez character, you're like sitting here going, this is his formula. This is his, Firefly formula. This is his Buffy formula of sort. You know, th- th- this type of mixture of you're not quite sure if you're supposed to be taking this General Perez seriously or are you actually supposed to be laughing at him? And you find yourself <laughs> laughing at him, and you're going, "Wait, am, am am I supposed to? Is that intentional?" And when I first watched it in '97, it took me off. I'm like, "Is that you know?" But now knowing who the writer is many moons later, I'm like, oh yeah, no, totally. You're supposed <laughs> to find the general comical. You're supposed to find the crew of the Betty uh, somewhat endearing, even though they're a bunch of vile folks. And in a way, you're actually supposed to kind of, you know, 
you get to enjoy the aliens too. Uh, but you definitely have, especially for 97, I will say that the female characters in here are strong. Uh, and that is, I think, Joss Whedon's writing too. Don, would you say that the, the female characters in here are strong? Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, Ripley always was. Right. And, um, um, Josh Sweden always did prefer writing for teeny tiny women <laughs> who don't look strong but are actually strong. Right, for Cal. And even even the side character, uh, uh, Hillard, who was Elgin's uh, uh, kind of uh, uh, companion, uh, well, equal, but I mean, they, they definitely had a relationship because uh, you get yeah. that foot, foot massage scene. Um, out of nowhere uh but, um, <laughs> she she was even a strong character but yeah I, I i really liked the female characters in this and and felt like they were equals when the way they were written even with people's complaints about cal and winona writer's character when you realize how she was programmed and the type of you know the type of character she's playing you're it, it makes sense of the way some of it is so i wish some of her dialogue would have been written a little better um, you know, I, I think they're all strong. Ian, would you agree too that, that this is got a, just a strong, the characters are strong and, and the female characters are equals. Oh yeah. I mean, that's yeah. the, that's the weird thing about this whole last five years or so in, in pop culture. And we've kind of talked about this, the idea of the strong female mm-hmm. character, uh, especially in genre films like, you know, sci-fi and horror. It seems that a lot of the pop culture world is just waking up to this idea and they think that, you know, uh, Captain Marvel or Katniss Everdeen <laughs> were the first, you know, the pioneers of, you know, we've never had uh, characters that little girls could look up to before on the silver screen. I'm like, no, I, I grew up watching Linda Hamilton and Sigourney Weaver and you know, it, and even Winona Ryder in movies like yeah. like Heathers and, and this. Um, it's it's not something that it's it's surprising to me now. Uh, where in a way that it wasn't surprising to me during my formative years. So, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know. I, I, in a way, I pity this generation who's uh, kind of being brought up on this narrative that uh, we haven't had you know strong representation, at least in terms of uh, women in film before. When and granted, yes, the the history of movies, even in the last few decades, has been very problematic, but. There are dozens of examples mm-hmm. of characters and movies where you can watch them and be like, wow, this is these are stronger female characters, you know, 30 years ago than we even have now in, in 2020, as opposed to uh, bastions of virtue and heroism. <laughs> what, what do you think of that, Don? Uh, would you would you agree that it seems like the Internet has a, a short memory as far as strong female characters go? Yes and no. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and we talk about this frequently. It's uh, There are some characters that come across as strong that aren't necessarily strong. They're just more masculinized than actually strong. Sure, yeah. But overall, yeah, I mean, the, the, the examples that you cited are spot on as, as strong female characters. Mm-hmm. And, and then there's ones that uh, are in obscure remakes of Casablanca, but uh, <laughs> I'm looking at you, barbed riot. Yes. <laughs> yes. I have nothing against barbed wire, Don. Don't don't hate me. 
No. <laughs> I, I, you know, I that film is entertaining. It is very entertaining. And that's all I'll say about it. It's, <laughs> it's entertaining. Get myself a big, big glass of rum with maybe some Coke for color and popcorn, and I can enjoy that movie. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but you're right. There there are examples. Um, not, and I think you hit it on the head too, Dawn, that uh, some of those, especially uh, 80s, early 90s, some of those characters that were deemed strong may, were just masculinized more. I murdered that word. But yeah, they were. Yeah, with, with, yeah like you're right. Barbed wire is uh, hypersexualized and masculinized right and and that's what and the writer for that thought it was a strong female character where it really wasn't because she didn't do anything without right. her little without her male companions help yeah. right Mm-mm. but you do have characters like tank girl on the other hand yeah <laughs> Who, uh, girl uh, is awesome so i mean it, you know yes. th- they are out there uh and, and and this was all in the mid 90s actually within this tank girl was 95 barbed wire 96 and then you know alien bring it back to alien resurrection nine, 1997 so there was this kind of feeling out and, and i think uh trying to uh bring better representation of female characters to to be you know on their own and, and be female and yet uh, strong. And I think Joss really accomplishes it here, but we know from his style, he actually has a knack for that. Um, Indeed. Uh, which is great, you know, uh, I, and, uh, but there, there are other examples out there, but uh, you're right, Ian. Uh, but, but then again, Ian, we, we are looking at uh, a generation that many of the filmmakers won't watch beyond a certain date so like mm-hmm. nothing before 2000 and it's like well you know <laughs> come on mark that was 20 years ago man thank you ian i feel so much younger now thank you for for doing the math for me <laughs> well no i mean it's it's a great it's a great idea because you know when i was you know 20 back in mm-hmm. 1997 you were like, oh, what, what would you think about the cinema of 1977? I'm like, that's 20 years ago. I'm not going to watch anything. You know. <laughs> um, but you know, there's plenty of great movies before mm-hmm. and during that time period. But, yeah, it's, I think it's just like a youth thing. Like <laughs> anything older than five years or back to when you were a teenager is just like not worth talking about. <laughs> Give them time, just like <laughs> we did. We'll, we'll discover the stuff that we were too stupid to, to consider eventually. And then they'll be yelling about, you know, kids to get off of their digital lawns or whatever it is. <laughs> get out of my VR yard. You know, <laughs> yes. Yeah, so, so overall, uh, I would say Alien Resurrection. Um, outside of the, we mentioned it, the problematic five minutes with the, with the infant, and and before we'll wrap it up tonight. But we do have to mention the infant. We've brought it up a couple of times, and I think you mentioned it earlier, Ian. I think it, it really is what I have an issue with was just the design. I don't mind the concept. The look of that creature, I don't know what special effects crew they had for it, 
but it needed to get the old George Lucas no. Uh, <laughs> go back to the drawing board, guys, because I know what they were going for. I just I think that could have been handled differently because especially since you established by now that they kind of take forms of the creatures they're in and you had the the geiger aliens which look humanoid they stand like humans in that so you know one being born like this i don't know if we needed maybe it was the human eyes i don't know but just i it's partially that uh it's partially because when you do get that very brief full body shot it's got that almost like egg-shaped body that Danny DeVito had when he was the penguin. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, but it's the... I think if the eyes had been like that weird milk-white kind of zombie look, instead of giant black eyes that give it almost like a like a Disney kind of a character mm-hmm. look to it, on top of that, personally, the big threat of the aliens was always if this thing gets militarized or corporatized, such as... I mean, it's funny, in this movie, they wanted to use them for urban pacification pacification. and vaccines yeah (laughs) so um (laughs) but 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 let's set that aside the the big fear was always we can't let any we can't let a queen especially get to earth because that's game over once you've destroyed the queen and all the drones on this station or made sure that they're not a problem i don't quite understand what the threat is from this hybrid alien because yeah they talk about how the queen had a special cycle where it created this thing and was able to you know give birth to it but there's uh, again that connective tissue it's not clear that this thing could self-replicate or Mm -hmm. if it got to earth like yeah it's dangerous but if you've got a high-powered machine gun or something you can rip it to shreds you know it's like i don't it doesn't have the same threat to me as a xenomorph it's like well it gets to earth on top of that if earth really is the burnt out shithole that Johnner says and that we see in the director's cut or even let's just assume that it's not all that's cracked up to be and everyone's kind of moved to space then you know just fuck it put it on earth and, <laughs> and just leave <laughs> it yeah go ahead don well there was an in the original script which apparently is available online if you go looking for it Ooh. in the original Joss Whedon script the entire third act was supposed to take place on earth so there was actually a it actually was supposed to go on and explain why the human hybrid of the alien was so dangerous there was there was an entire third act to explain this oh and they 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 shelved that and saved it for alien versus predator requiem uh, that's they, just a, well, it's a theory. <laughs> something they 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 shelved it because Rip uh, Sigourney Weaver absolutely did not want anything to do with a, an alien movie that actually took place as the major uh, focal point on Earth. Yeah. Wow. And when you're paying her eleven million to be in your film, what she wants is what she gets. <laughs> <laughs> Did, here's a question. Do you, do you know why she took that particular stance? Was it just like a story thing or some she, kind of a moral thing or what? She, she never wanted – that was – that was. she didn't feel it would actually benefit the story to take it to Earth ever. Mm. Um, uh, she she kind of got into it a little bit. Uh, she barely touched on it. it. 
in the interview that I saw in the featurette. Um, but yeah, she didn't. She just didn't feel it was appropriate for this storyline or what she felt was the storyline to go to Earth. And she would be interested, um, you know, she also something about being interested if they ever come up with another storyline with Ripley anywhere except Earth. Mm -hmm. Uh Well, it's always interesting with Sigourney Weaver because she was against guns and here she is in Aliens. (laughs) (laughs) And even in in here, she uses a gun once, but in Aliens, she's got guns all over it and she just, she had an issue with guns. So, uh, yeah, Sigourney Weaver. But those those are space guns, Mark, and she's using them on Aliens. Yes, (laughs) yes. Yeah. It's 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 the uh, it's the the space gun loophole. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and uh, yeah, I think we'll wrap it up tonight. There's uh, other things we could dissect, like was when she fell through the floor and she's being was she being carried by an alien or actually having uh, sex with an alien? Um, <laughs> there's a weird scene there that's directed. And then let's not forget the basketball shot, which she actually made after many, many, many takes uh, of shooting the basketball behind her and hitting the basket. Um, that is actually her doing it. It just took her many times. Uh, <laughs> uh, I do want to touch on, I just had looked up real quick uh, some information, and apparently one of the other reasons uh, Sigourney signed on to do this film was the scene in particular she read when with uh eight finding the other seven so apparently mm. that scene was also one of those that uh kind of sold it for her so nice. yeah so that i thought that was interesting as well so there you have it folks yes it is a film that joss he- whedon was very unhappy with <laughs> apparently <laughs> Because he did everything differently than what he wanted to. Uh, but still, there, I think, is a lot of entertaining things in this film. It, it I enjoyed a lot better than Alien 3. And I, I will say it is worth a watch. Uh, final recommendation, Don, would you say it's worth a watch? Well, yeah. <laughs> I absolutely do. <laughs> I thought it was back then, too. Um I think a lot of people who are fans of the first three, the first two especially, will find a lot of things different about this movie. Not just everything we've talked about, but also things about in the first few Alien movies, you have a lot of silence and and silence and dark space and, and bursts of action. And in this movie... It's all noise and action all the time, and and that, ba- and that change alone is uh, makes it very different. Um, mm-hmm. I think it works. Um, I think people should watch it. I mean, just give it a chance. Yeah, agree. Uh, and Ian, what about you? Yeah, I, I second that uh, completely. It is is very different and. You know, if you've somehow never seen this movie before, it might take uh, might take a couple of viewings. Maybe, maybe you'll get it on the first viewing. But uh, if you're if you watch it and you're kind of like, I, I don't know what that was, watch it again, and uh, maybe you'll get some more appreciation for it. Um, I certainly did. 
Yeah, especially if you're a Joss Whedon fan, uh, you should watch it because you could see his earlier work, but you could see that style definitely all over uh, this film, or at least seeds of things that he was exploring that uh, later would come to uh, you know fruition. So uh, even though he dislikes it, you can still see a lot of the stuff in there. I would have been very interested to see just from what you mentioned, Don, uh, what you know his his actual unaltered version of this film would have been it definitely does sound interesting uh but yeah overall i i enjoy it i especially for me it did feel like it did make up for alien cubed even with uh infant alien at the end because especially now watching it infant aliens only a very small part and doesn't last too long so i don't mind (laughs) I, I don't mind that. And I did like the actual ending of the special edition with them actually looking at the ruined uh, ruins of Paris. Uh, that is a uh, more fitting book note, I think, and the message that they were going for versus uh, the somewhat, I guess, quote-unquote happy ending uh, where <laughs> they're looking down at a green earth. Um yeah, the the uh, special edition endings definitely more Joss Whedon for sure. <laughs> yeah, yeah, totally. Because the two female characters, they're strong female characters. They're both just sitting there going, "Yep, this is our situation." They're not really sad that Earth is a crap hole. They're just here, and they're both new to the planet. And yeah, it just felt a lot more Whedon esque than uh, uh, than the uh, other ending, which felt a lot more of the Hollywood ish. So. There you have it, folks, hearing us uh, ramble on about this film. A lot of great stuff in here, I think, to explore. So, And now this is the chance where I always give my crew members the license to shill. I thank them for joining us here. And now it is your chance to shill away. So please, Ian, go ahead first. What do you got to shill? Um, I have my website, which is Kicking the Seat uh, at kickseat.com. Uh, you can also check out the Kicking the Seat YouTube channel at youtube.com slash kicking the seat, maybe, I guess. Um, <laughs> yeah, I put up a podcast there about uh, two to three times a week. And uh, yeah, would love to have some new listeners. Thank you. Awesome. And Don, by all means, uh, the floor is yours. On occasion, you can find me in the audience.net, although hopefully all things looking up i hope i hope this fall this october you will be able to find me and mark the movie man and many other wonderful people in oshkosh wisconsin at the historic time community theater for the northeast wisconsin or new horror film fest yes Yes, uh, so hopefully that will still be happening. Right now it is still scheduled for the second weekend in October. And uh, yeah, uh, looking forward to that. Hopefully things get better in the real world and uh, we can still have that happen. So uh, thank you so much to my crew. Hope you enjoyed our little extended discussion on this film. And uh, stay tuned, folks, because next week we are going to talk The Crucible and to find out what the connection is between Alien Resurrection and The Crucible. (laughs) Tune in next week to find out. Until then, folks, we'll just say good night, everyone. Night. Good night, everyone. 
Hey, all my friends out there looking for more spoiler room goodness, then why don't you check out our brand new Patreon page, patreon.com slash specialmarkproductions, where you can get access to exclusive spoiler room episodes and a whole lot more. You can also find us on Facebook groups at SMPRD and on the Twitter at SpecialMarkPro. Let your voice be heard and let us know what you would like to see in the spoiler room, as well as just how we're doing in general. We appreciate your support, and remember in the spoiler room, the conversation is fresh, but we do spoil the movies.